Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. Continuing my series on my favourite producers, in which I talk about some of the producers I have visited over the years and really found inspirational, and producers which give a good overview and representation of the development of wine in the region they come from. And for this episode, I have an obvious choice for wine geeks like me, which is Lopez de Heredia, which is in Rioja and one of the uh, most iconic wineries in the region. And iconic because it is also one of the most traditional and really stands out from modern trends. The wine is made there basically in the way that it was made in the 19th century, down to the fact that the fermentation barrels date all the way back um, 100 years or more. So lots and lots of tradition and also the fact that the wines are aged for a very long time before release. Just like it used to happen in the old days, which gives us consumers a really um, great opportunity to taste old wine without it being ridiculously expensive and of the highest quality too. And once you try these wines, I think it's a lifelong love affair, even if it's um, a distinctive style and its own thing, which may appeal to some people more than others, um, they really draw you in with the history and the story and the quality of the wines too. So, for example, um, I was in Bordeaux in February, um, preparing for my MW exam, which I was supposed to take in June, but won't be taken until next year. And for those of you who don't know um, the MW exam tasting, there's three flights of 12 wines. There's one flight of whites, one flight of reds, and then a mixed bag, which is the most colourful. And as we were practising in Bordeaux in the seminar, the the flight three, and it was like a rainbow, all sorts of colours, fortified wine, sparkling wine, and also rosé. There were four rosés. And I looked at the rosé tasting with a bit of uh, trepidation because I don't taste rosé that much and don't drink rosé that much. But actually it was quite straightforward because the four rosés were so different it's very easy to describe them. And one of them, I looked at it, a faded red colour. I smelt it. Immediately I knew it was Lopez de Heredia's uh, Rosado because it is so distinctive. And it's very rare that I am able to nail the producer. I found it difficult enough nailing the region or the grape variety without getting the producer as well, but I knew exactly what it was straight away, which gives an example of how distinctive it is. Other students in the class didn't actually um, get it because they never tasted it before because it's quite a rare wine, and so they didn't know what it was. But once you taste it, you don't forget it. I'll speak more about the wines as um, we go through this episode, but just an idea of how distinctive they are. Also, another example of my kind of personal... um, love of these wines. When I moved to California, I brought two, three bottles over with me uh, from Manchester, from the shop I had been working at, and one of them was the Vigna Tondonia Gran Reserva, 1994, which then, well, six years ago, was their latest release, and in fact, I think they're only still only on the 1995. That's how long these wines are aged before they are released. And I brought it as a present for Katie, who is now my wife, and it was up to her when to open it, because it was a present for her. And we opened it over a year later when a mutual friend of ours visited from Manchester. We'd worked at the shop together and we opened it and drank it with Doug. And it was just phenomenal to taste a wine that was 21 years old and yet was still so fresh and still alive and still and so vibrant as well. And it just shows the aging capability of these wines. And since then, I've given my wife um, the 1987, which is her birth year, which we drank uh, at a leaving party when we left our house to move to our current one, and we also recently had the 1992. So these are wines which um, are released when they are 
ready to drink and old, but will continue to age for years and years to come. And it's always a memorable occasion to open these wines. So when we visited Rioja in November, we had to go to this winery. And it was me and Katie, and she used to live in Logroño, which is the main city of Rioja. And so we stayed with a couple of friends of hers who took us to the winery. They like wine, but they're not wine aficionados. And again, they were just so fascinated and impressed by the the winery because it is so unusual and so uh, memorable just giving you an idea that these wines do appeal to all sorts of consumers a couple of years ago um a customer came to the shop uh, i was working in in, in Napa with some friends of his who were visiting from somewhere else in the states and very much Napa cabernet lovers but he wandered over to the european section and saw that we had the vigna tondonia reserva and he said look the cobweb wine and I asked him why he said that and it's because well the winery is full of cobwebs and they had visited it a few years ago and it's true when I visited in November there are cobwebs everywhere which they're extremely proud of they like to cultivate the spiders feeling it just adds to the ambience of the cellar in which the wines are aging there's mold on the walls it all sounds pretty disgusting it might be a little overkill the amount of um, cobwebs that they do have but the wines are fantastic, so it definitely works, and making the wines in this really traditional, old-fashioned manner, like they did in the 19th century, is a wonderful experience. It's a one-off to go and visit that winery and experience where those wines are made and aged. But it's not just the wines themselves, it's the um, history of Lopez de Heredia and how it parallels the development of Rioja. And even though they haven't followed recent trends for new French oak and more modern winemaking styles, the development of uh, Lopez de Heredia is um, quite typical of what happened in Rioja, and it's just a throwback to what was going on in the 19th century. So Rioja is a very old region, the most famous in Spain, and its history goes back a thousand years at least, when um, pilgrims used to um, travel through Rioja on the Camino de Santiago all the way to Compostela and Galicia. I mentioned in my Bordeaux podcast recently that Santimillion gained its fame, or its initial fame, for the same reason. So Rioja became quite famous as pilgrims would load up with wine from the region, and um, the producers would um, put the wines into leather bags and, and brand the bags with the name Rioja, which is first example of branding in, in wine. And so the name and the reputation spread through Europe. But the winemaking is very traditional for a very long time, up until the 1860s, when Bordeaux producers who were hit with phylloxera looked towards Rioja as a region which they could uh, work with, because it was the most famous in Spain and not too far from Bordeaux, and it hadn't been hit by phylloxera, so they could still make wine. But they found that the style of wine was quite primitive, and so they introduced new methods and the original Lopez de Heredia, Rafael Lopez, was working with Bordeaux Negocion to help them source grapes and source wines which they could bottle and blend and sell instead of the Bordeaux wines which weren't being made. And so he gained pretty strong connections with Bordeaux and learnt a lot from them, as did other Rioja producers. One of the most important things was um, site. So different sites produce different styles of wine and most importantly different qualities of wine. And so they were able to identify sites which they thought were really high quality, which um, elevated them above other Rioja wines, which were simply making wine from whatever fruit came in. And Vigna Tondonia is the, is the vineyard which um, Lopez de Heredia is most associated with. And in fact, many people, including myself, often call Lopez de Heredia Vigna Tondonia, and it's kind of what it's most famous for. What the Bordeaux producers and negociant also introduced was the use of oak. And so this is something we take for granted now that wine aged in oak, especially when it's good wine in the first place, can really gain a lot of qualities and character and structure. 
but the producers in Rioja didn't know that at the time, so Bordeaux producers introduced that, but they used American oak because they couldn't afford French oak, with American oak being less expensive, and this really contributes to the distinctive dill and um, coconut aromas of traditional Rioja. Uh, recent trends have been for more French oak. Some producers use a mixture of both. Vina Tandonia is all old American oak, as would have been the case back in the 19th century. And initially, Lopez de Heredia was uh, just more of a merchant, uh, blending different wines and sourcing different wines. But when Rafael Lopez kind of had learnt from the Bordeaux producers what to do and how to source the grapes and how to make the best wine, uh, he started making wine himself in 1878. And the old barrel fermenters, which you uh, see when you walk into the winery, uh, are a hundred years old, which he had built himself personally. And so still, it really is like going back in time to visit that winery. But an important part of the development of Rioja, the transformation from being a very old-fashioned traditional region to a more modern region influenced by Bordeaux, which is a, a style that Lopez de Heredia still maintains. So what about the wines themselves? Well, their entry-level wine, as it were, is Vigna Cubillo, which comes from a single vineyard, and is a Crianza. And this uh, retails for about 30 to $35, so, so still quite pricey for an entry-level wine, but well worth it. And the latest release, I think, is 09, or it might be, it might be on to 2010 by now. So for an entry-level wine, releasing it 9 to 10 years after the vintage is pretty incredible. And yet the wine absolutely retains its freshness and is an absolute uh, delight to drink. A bit um, lighter than the, than the wines which are aged for longer than that. Famous, the most famous wine, as I mentioned, is Vigna Tondonia, which comes from the Tondonia vineyard, which is like in a, in a horseshoe um, enveloped by the river Ebro, um, a unique site which produces these really high-quality wines. And these are either made into Reserva or Grand Reserva. So Grand Reserva is going to be extremely rare, only in the very best years. So I mentioned that um, I brought over the 1994 Grand Reserva. I think the latest release is 1995, giving you an example of how long these wines are aged and that they're released um, in, small in small quantities long after the vintage. A great opportunity to taste old wine if you can get your hands on them. The reservas are aged um, for shorter, but still um, six to eight years, if not more, and they, they are made every year. So a reg so the Grand Reserve is only made in the exceptional vintages where the Reserva is made every year, but it's still always at the highest quality. And then there's Vigna Bosconia, which is um, a bit less common to find. Vigna Tondonia, the Reserva, um, you'll find um, quite commonly, so it's priced about 50 to $60, but Vigna Bosconia a bit rarer. And that's another single vineyard wine that's Tempranillo-based. All their wines, all their red wines are Tempranillo-based, of course, uh, because this is Rioja. And Vigna Bosconia is a little bit different. Um, it's actually um, bottled in a Burgundy bottle rather than a Bordeaux bottle, just because of the different uh, structure of the wine. A bit denser, a bit more tannic. Although I said Burgundy bottle, really I would compare it to a Rhone bottle. Um, it's more like the wines of the Southern Rhone rather than the wines of Bordeaux, which um, you might find with Vigna Tondonia. Then there's also the white wine, which is Vigna Gravonia. And so in the olden days, a lot of Rioja wines and Spanish wines in general were named after Bordeaux regions. You could find a Spanish Sauterne, for instance. So it's a, some generic wines. The name of this wine comes from the, the Bordeaux region, Grave. It was an imitation of that style of wine. And so it kind of got Spanishified into Gravonia. And this is another single vineyard white wine. And these wines are extraordinary. Some of my favourite white wines in the world, although very distinctive. 
If you listen to my podcast regularly, you'll know that I love sherry, and there's definitely an overlap between these wines and sherry. Quite oxidative, golden in colour, and nutty uh, dried fruit aromas. Think of this as a kind of cross between a Fino and a Montiado, but then very much its own thing, because of course it's not fortified. And the white wine is made at different levels, Crianza, Reserva, and Gran Reserva. I think the Crianza is my favourite because it retains all the freshness of a younger wine, whereas the Reserva and Gran Reserva may feel a little too heavy because they're aged for even longer. So I tend to gravitate towards the Crianza when I can find it. Again, not it's a very trendy wine and, and can sell out quite quickly, so if you do see one, get it. And then, most notoriously, if you like, is the Rosado, which I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, which is extremely hard to find. This is a wine they're actually beginning to fade out of production, or really lower it, because there's no demand for it, an aged rosé. And rosé, for a long time, is quite unfashionable, certainly not as fashionable as it is today. And then a very heavy, oxidative style of rosé certainly wasn't fashionable. But then... um, Restaurateurs around the world, particularly in the States, really hooked onto this wine and they started to make more of it, but still not enough to satisfy demand. So it's a hard wine to get hold of. But I was lucky that I um, built up a good uh, relationship with the sales rep that represented Lopez de Heredia here in uh, California and I kept nagging him to allow us to have the allocation of the Rosado and eventually he relented and we got our six bottle allocation. And it's a weird wine to price because people will spend whatever uh, they, they they can on it. And but the actual price of it is quite cheap. We could sell it for thirty five dollars, which for a ten year old rosé, it's the 09 that we got in, is pretty extraordinary. But people were willing to pay uh, twice that, if not three times that, to get their hands on such a rare wine. So the latest release is twenty oh nine. So that gives you an idea of how different a style of rosé it is from all others which are designed to be drunk within 12 months of the vintage. I mentioned that the colour stands out and the aromas stand out. Much nuttier, dried fruit, more mature, more oxidative. Very, very distinctive. Very, very few rosés in the world that taste like this one. And so if you can get your hands on it, do. It is a great experience. And in fact, if you look at my Instagram feed from last year, you'll see me recording a video comparing um, this Rosado from 09 with a random Rosado from Nevada, which I found in a wine shop which was 10 years old and wasn't designed to be uh, aged that long. And it was an interesting comparison, just how fresh the um, Lopez de Heredia Rosado was. So a fascinating producer, so much history, so much tradition, really making wine like they used to in the past. So it's a blast from the past, how people used to make wine and how people used to drink wine, and very different from the more homogenous styles which dominate modern winemaking. So definitely one of my favourite producers, and always one I turn to when I have the possibility. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.